0: Family and fellow soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the Moment of Truth. Guy Cecil is one of the party's biggest thinkers in terms of Democratic strategy,
1: in terms of what Democrats should be doing to counter Republican electoral machinations. And now he is leaving that job. He's announced that he is leaving Priorities USA at the end of this month, after eight years, in that landmark, very important job. Here's the thing, you're not a household name in every household, but for political junkies and people who know how the Democratic Party works, you're a big deal.
2: I never imagined in 2015 that uh, I would be here eight years later. At the time, we were a traditional super PAC. We ran ads. And we existed every four years to, to do that. And after 16, we realized this is not the way uh, we went, that Republicans invest in the long term. They invest in the federalist societies. They invest in institutions that aren't just about one issue or about one candidate but about making long-term ideological change. And so we thought, hey, we have this opportunity, we have this vehicle, let's identify a couple of the structural gaps we see now and let us help the the Democratic Party and the progressive left fill some of those gaps. Right, there's over $1.4 billion being invested in essentially creating federalist societies that aren't just focused on the courts, but are focused on Silicon Valley, are focused on education, are focused on technology, We are not prepared to combat that, and we're not prepared to go on the offensive because so much of our infrastructure is based on an issue or a candidate. Not enough of our focus is on how do we make sure that we are laying the ideological ground for all of the various levers, Silicon Valley, entertainment, education, to win. The second, I think, is more of an internal look at how we communicate and we create caricatures out of our voters. And what I think that does is make it more difficult for us to communicate across the diversity of our party. Black voters care about criminal justice reform, no doubt. They also care about good-paying jobs, health care, and education, in the same way that Latino families and Asian families and gay families and white families do. But we're not communicating in that way. We are turning our voters into a confederacy of caricatures instead of presenting a broader image about what
0: we want the country to be. Rachel Maddow had a guest on, Guy Cecil. He's supposedly a big Democratic strategist and has been so for a while now And Rachel Maddow presented this otherwise unknown political operator as being someone who helped shape the direction of the Democratic Party from way behind the scenes. Well, that explains why they've been so inconsistent in winning elections. Now, with a name like Priorities USA, you would expect that they wouldn't allow the GOP to control a majority of state legislatures and governorships. How did they allow the orange man to become president as well? Seems to me Priorities USA needs to get their priorities straight. But apparently Mr. Cecil's had an epiphany lately. Apparently black people's interests are a lot larger than just criminal justice. I wonder where he might have heard that from. Though mostly he was talking about Democrats setting up their own long-term counter-political organizations in order to give themselves some sort of counter against the Republican projects like the Federalist Society and others. That's all well and good, but they've already had things like this before. For instance, the Democratic Leadership Council, which gave us Bill Clinton, Joe Lieberman, and indirectly Barack Obama. For those of you who don't know, the Democratic Leadership Council was created back in the 1980s because although Democrats controlled Congress, they weren't getting all that sweet donor money like the Republicans did. So Democrats, who had more or less been in power continually since the days of FDR, wanted to know how to make themselves more acceptable to the donor class. So you're talking about people like the Joseph Coors and the Koch brothers and others, well the only way that you're going to make yourself accessible to them is to become more like the Republicans. So that's what the Democrats resolved to do. And that's when the Democratic Party began to pivot towards being more centrist. And considering that from the very beginning the Democratic Party was supporting slavery, and later Jim Crow for the first 130 years of its existence, in reality the Democrats are not really left-wing at all. They were already center-right. That's why I like that quote from Chris Hedges that Bill Clinton turned the Democratic Party into the Republicans and pushed the Republicans so far to the right, they became insane. Now this Cecil guy also talks about Democrats not being ready because they focus on an issue or a candidate as opposed to solidifying their ideological influence on everything from Silicon Valley to education to entertainment. So the same way Steve Bannon, and Ben Shapiro and others have been trying and failing to get a foothold in entertainment for the white right, you have this Cecil person saying Democrats should be focusing on entertainment and a lot more too. I seem to detect a pattern forming here. This Cecil person is talking a lot about what the Democrats can do for themselves, but he's not really saying what, if anything, the heat or the Democrats are going to be doing for their political base. Now, while Cecil is talking about not looking at black people and everyone else, you know he had to mention everybody else when he mentions us, not looking at black people as just basically being one issue of voters, he's not talking about what he's going to offer to black people. He just gives empty lip service to, well, black folks are not one big monolith, not even when it comes to the issues that they favor. Okay, but black people are focused on their money as a top issue. What do you say about that? What's his policy proposal? Well, based on what he said, there is no black specific anything that he has in mind. When you listen to him, all he says is that Democrats need to push more buttons with black people, but of course they offer nothing same way they occasionally make some insincere noises about criminal justice or police reform, but they never actually do anything. They now are going to start making some insincere noises about black people and money, I would imagine. But they're not going to do anything on that either. See, white power understands how to manipulate. They dig in their heels, and you fight them for decades and you can't budge them an inch. Then they claim that they're going to do something different. They won't be doing anything better, mind you, but they'll be doing something different and black people who have been so worn down and demoralized by trying so long to get through this wall of lies and con men, they actually convince themselves that they've made progress when in reality, nothing has changed. Why do black people still keep going back forward? Well, as the old saying goes, it's easier to con someone than it is to convince them that they've been conned. The reason that I make this focus of this morning briefing is that you got Democrats who are saying they understand which direction the black electorate is trending. That's what this shows. They see the direction that we're trying to move in. They understand that the old rhetoric won't work. They don't have enough pork chop preachers to try to come among us and mislead us either. And we're not listening to those people anyway. Some prostitute behind the poll pitch who's in the hip pocket of the Democratic Party has zero influence with us. We're not looking for a sermon. Or some phony talk about religion, always sending some crusty pastor or some pretend bishop out to tell us that we need to wait and see what these Democrats will do. We need to stop causing so much noise and just calm down. You can save that crap for the black baby boomers. We're not looking to calm down, we're looking to come up. Rachel Maddow can smirk and smile all she wants. That doesn't fool me. This isn't some sort of paradigm shift happening here is just another attempt at changing their perception in the eyes of the people who they want to keep on the treadmill to nowhere if this guy wants to talk about democrats changing tact, fine but he also must give details about the direction that the democrats are going to go in and how it's going to benefit us vague chatter about new organizations and coming up with political answers to the federalist society and others that's not enough If the Democrats did what they should have been doing all along, focusing on putting tangibles on the table for black people, then they wouldn't need to worry about the Federalist Society or the composition of the Supreme Court. All the right wing did was to take advantage of the fact that the Democrats have worn out the people who spent decades waiting for them to produce anything for us. See, it would be one thing if the Democrats actually did things on criminal justice reform, but they haven't done anything at all. So they straw-man us by making it seem all we care about is prison, because apparently every black person is in jail, I suppose. But the one issue they gaslight us on, they can't even be bothered to do anything about. But they're fully aware that we're focused on tangibles now. This is the result of the black grassroots and the impact that we've had on the political discourse. And when I say we... That includes you. This is the reason why aggregating our numbers is important. As individuals, we don't have much of a voice, but as a group, yeah, they can hear us. Now we see them trying to hit the reset button, trying to get something for nothing. The scare talk won't work. The bootlick operatives won't work. The phony sympathy won't work. What will work is money. Tangibles benefits specifically for us. We won't allow ourselves to be lost in a shuffle. So I guess we can thank Rachel Maddow for giving us the heads up on this one. Democrats are plotting to switch up the messaging a little bit. They're still going to talk at us, not to us. Their words will change slightly, but our interests will not. Creating new organizations and plans without focusing on catering to the existing voter base will achieve nothing. Reorganization will never be a substitute for the policies that you're supposed to be delivering to us. In terms of the electorate, Democrats carry the popular vote now in every presidential election, so the Democrats ought to be the majority in state legislatures and governorships, but they're not. The Democrats have the Republicans outnumbered, but when you look at who controls the state legislatures and the governorships, it's obvious the Republicans have the Democrats outorganized. And that's because across the board we see the Democrats trying to get something for nothing from black people. But let's be honest. Democrats are not being competitive at the state level because they don't care about the state level. Certainly not about black people in these states. It's like I've told you. The Democrats see themselves as being a D.C.-based social club. You pay your entry fee at the state level by getting elected to Congress. And after that you go to the big clubhouse in D.C. Sit around all day waiting for lobbyists to bring you and your family members those checks. When they call themselves Priorities USA, that's the priority they're talking about. When the Cecil guy talks, it's not about policy for us. He's simply talking about influence for himself and the other Democrats. He's seen how effective the right wing's political organizations have been. And he's got some Democrats now who simply want to be equally effective at getting their way. But how does that help us? The Democrats are still trying to serve a non-black constituency. They want power so they can use it for everyone except for us. Democrats have long since tipped their hand that the plan all along now is to circumvent the black vote by putting together a voter coalition that will be comprised of a bunch of non-black constituencies, or rather the groups who the Democrats actually do things for. That boot mayor in Montgomery gave up the game on that one. He came right out and said that if he can get a certain amount of white votes, then he doesn't need the black vote. And this is supposed to be a black mayor who was saying this. He got caught saying what these bootlegs always say behind closed doors. It's just as self-hating and backstabbing as we knew it to be. With the plot that this Cecil guy is talking about, it's no different and no better. Well, I say let them try whatever political sleight of hand they want. We've seen it all before. But if they expect to be able to gain or hold on to power long term, then they better accept that black people's interests must be the priority. Good day, and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Joseph C. Isaiah, Sherman Marshall, Insane Optimus, Ronald Groves, and Samora Morris. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. According
3: to the United States of America, Russia and China are attempting to shake up the international world order. They're bringing in a new world order. The National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby is warning at this moment in time, That China, together with Russia, are two countries that are vying against what has been known as the international rules-based order that the United States of America and American allies, as well as partners, have brought up this since World War II. They say they would like to rewrite the rules of the game globally. Kirby says that the United States of America will be watching carefully to see what emerges from the heralded meetings between the Chinese president and the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, that are happening this week inside of Russia. They have been increasing their cooperation, the USA warned uh, and their relationships, certainly of late, says Kirby, uh, speaking of the two nuclear-powered countries. China at this moment wants to push forward a plan that is designed to end the Russian and Ukrainian war. This was Kirby Callahan, the host, at a uh, Biden administration meeting. They say that this is a dubious intention of China's when it comes to this war. What we have said before, Kirby warns, and we will say it again today, that if coming out of this meeting there is some sort of call for a ceasefire, speaking on China calling for a Russian ceasefire, that's going to be unacceptable because all that's going to do is ratify Russia's request or conquest date now what they're saying right now is they expect china to call for russia and ukraine to come to a ceasefire that will give credibility to russia's current takes inside of ukraine they'll get crimea they'll get the other uh parts of the countryside and those will become new parts of russian territory the united states of america nato and other european countries say that this is absolutely a no game it's a uh is a dead-in-the-water call for a ceasefire because nothing will stop Russia from coming back and moving further into Ukraine, Belarus moving into a bordering country, Russia moving into Poland, moving into Norway, moving into Finland, and you're going to see this continue on in this war. Now, I believe that Russia and China both know that this is a false request, but what it does is in the international landscape, it says, look, we tried to come to an agreement and the other side, the other party, is the one that will not. If you think of uh, dirty divorce lawyers inside of the United States of America and other countries, I'm sure are similar. When you go to court and you say, "Look, we tried to come to some sort of agreement. We went to arbitration. We laid out a uh, you know we laid out a very clear and understandable list of requirements to come to an agreement," but it's the other party who is refusing to do anything about it. That gives the judge or the ruling order time to say, okay, well, why aren't you both trying to work together on this? We have an entire upsetting of the old world order, and like the United States of America admits, this is a conquest of American control since World War II and American allies. That's why the United States dollar is right now the reserve currency of the world. That's why Russia and China are working hard to upset this entire handbasket, because It has not allowed the rest of the world to come up to par. They want their time for control. It's their time to lead, And that's exactly what they are trying to do. You're not going to see this war end. And in fact, you're going to see it intensify until your rubles can be used here in America, until your Chinese currency can be used around the world. It's already happening. You can buy things in all sorts of other countries with Chinese currency. China is buying their oil from Saudi Arabia with Chinese currency. India is buying oil with rubles and their own currency. We just have a change in place right now. Let me tell you, the United States of America is certainly scared. Now, Kirby says that he hopes China's president will keep lines of communication open with the current U.S. leader, but they don't see that as being a, uh, a promise in this coming conflict. We hope, he says, and we've said this before, that the president of China will call and talk to the president of Ukraine, Zelensky. He says, because we believe that the Chinese need to get the Ukrainian perspective here. Now, a former uh, national security advisor to, I believe it was the uh, Trump administration, that's H.R. McNaster, he noted that the president of China's friendship with Putin, their allies, is getting stronger despite all the issues surrounding the Russian and Ukrainian war. McMaster says, remember, it's really 10 years ago, almost to the day that the Chinese president made his first visit to Moscow and they declared a new special relationship because then they've just continued to double or since then they've just continued to double down on this heavy reliance. And you're going to see China against the USA, you're going to see Russia against the USA. Will the USA win? Well, that's why we prepare. It's being reported now that the Polish ambassador to France says that either Ukraine will defend its independence today or, remember, this is the Polish ambassador to France, or we, speaking for Poland, will be forced to enter into this war. Here we have open admissions of conflicts coming and you have people in your community, I'm sure your friends and family, who really could care less what's going on. It's not in their perspective. It's not in their purview. Because they just don't even have a consideration to understand the depth of what is happening. Guys, if you could have went back before World War II and you could have made preparations and changes, if your great-grandparents could have, they would have put themselves in positions of power during and after World War II. That's exactly what I want for you. Now, something is definitely up. I want you to listen to what the CEO to Hess Oil is saying. This is his quote. Oil and gas will be needed for decades to come, he stresses. This is the Hess Corporation CEO, John Hess himself. He says that oil and gas are key to having an affordable, just, and secure energy transition an oil tycoon and giant says the biggest challenge is going to be investment toward that transition and having policies in place that encourage that investment. So I want you to ask yourself here, what is really going on? What is really happening? Now, I personally believe that the answer comes in two parts. First, there is a problem with oil production. Either it's a peak oil concern or some of some sort, or it could be as mundane as an understanding that the United States of America and the West, we are at a world war. And the oil producing countries are going to be making it near impossible for gasoline, for diesel, and for petroleum byproducts to be affordable in the, uh, or even just accessible in the years to come. Now the second part is that there is, for one of those reasons, going to be an inevitable shift away from oil. And we are seeing corporations in the industry right now, in the industry, call for massive shifts in investment toward non-energy resources. Let me put a warning to you right now. An oil tycoon, like the CEO of Hess Oil, Coming out and blatantly having to reaffirm investment away from his own production is a problem. Now, you and I, of course, don't know how large of a problem this might be yet. But if it is a supply or a production concern, then we are going to have decades, literal decades of pain that are on the way right now. Reports are coming in from Sweden about an unusual outbreak of influenza B. Now, some cases, which have been among people under the age of 18 years old without any underlying disease, no underlying immunity conditions, have been very seriously ill with complications such as encephalitis and myocarditis. Kelly asked me what I thought this was whether it was some sort of mutation. You know, we don't really know everything we think we know about viruses. And every urologist will tell you that. We are basically just coming to an understanding of what is actually going on there. Now, either there is some sort of mutation taking place out in the real world, out in the open, or immune systems have absolutely been dumped on, and this is the result. Russia is warning right now, putting a warning out to America, that any continued U.S. drone flights over the Black Sea are a sign of direct United States of American military involvement in the war with Russia. The Syrian Observatory has said that Russia is bringing military reinforcements to Aleppo. This will include things like armored vehicles, anti-aircraft guns. Guys, when you start to look at the larger picture here, you have Israel versus Syria, Israel versus Iran. You have Ukraine versus Russia. You have Poland, Norway, Finland versus Russia, you have Taiwan versus China, you have South Korea, the Philippines, America. America is literally the backbone of each of these countries' abilities to withstand a changing world order. The problem is that the United States of America will not be able to withstand a multi-directional war right now or in the future. We don't have the weapons for it. We don't have the men and women for it. We don't have the capabilities, and I dare say we don't have the heart for it anymore. What's going to actually happen? America is going to have to pick and choose. I told you on a recent video, and I just saw some more images coming out of facilities, weapon creation facilities, industrial, the military industrial complex at work alive in the United States of America, building rounds of massive amounts of ammunition, they're not for us. They're to send off to Ukraine, to send off to neighboring countries, to get ready for this war. Why? Because just like during World War II, your aunts and uncles, your grandparents, they were, if not in the war, they were participating in one form or another. And so what we have is a small but building block to that happening again. Now this isn't good. Chile is reporting hundreds, thousands even, of sea lions that have died from the H5N1 bird flu that crossed over the species barrier from birds over into sea life. This is much higher than the previously uh, previously reported 3,500 sea lions that died in the neighboring country of Peru. Now, whether the earth is trying to take it back, whether we have some sort of mutation, that caused this crossover. What we do know is that we're entering into that time again where we are going to see massive, uh, just massive amounts of die offs in sea life. We're going to see weird ha- things happen in the earth. You're probably going to see a lot more earthquakes. You're likely going to see more volcanic eruptions. The droughts are going to be more crop destroying, food crop destroying. You're going to see worse and worse wildfires. You better start getting ready today. And how you build your buffer against the wildfires isn't necessarily going outside and actually taking a tractor and building your own physical buffer. It's getting your pantry stocked up, making a plan, writing down on a sheet of paper that says, okay, when do I leave? And then you have something to go back to. You have a game plan. You think, look at, look at the NFL, right? I'm not a sports guy, but I know that every business and every sports team has a playbook you need to build your own playbook that playbook is going to say if this happens if my enemy and the enemy to your survival is any calamity if this happens here is what i do and then when this happens you go back to your playbook and you go okay well when i was in good and sound judgment when i was having a good and sound mind not rushed by the stressors of this catastrophe i said i would do this if this happened You go back to that, and then you weigh that, and say, "Okay, does this still make sense for me to do this?" And if it does make sense for you to do that, you absolutely act on that at that moment in time. When a person makes a will, you know, a will for their life, and where their belongings go, and what they want for the, uh, you know, the rest of their, uh, you know, time and their family, they have to. Be of sound judgment under no undue stress. Get here, and that's exactly when you need to make your playbook. Today, while you're of sound judgment under un- no undue stress, even though we, of course, all have a lot of stress, make your playbook, folks. You need to do it. I uh, was speaking of playbooks and sheets of paper. I want to get to a couple of your questions here. The first one is Jordan Gonzalez says, question what free resources or assistance programs would you use or would you recommend to the people who have lost their jobs their housing or transportation that would be the most practical in order to assist in prepping that won't further restrict your freedom or put you in a situation that would be detrimental given the time scale of coming events well guys lots of uh, free resources exist and one of those of course is youtube get on YouTube, learn life-saving skills, learn CPR, learn, uh, you know, how to deal with trauma, uh, learn cognitive behavioral therapy to try to help with the mental stress that comes along with understanding that this world is literally falling apart, then for physical resources, get out there and and go, uh, you know, spend your time volunteering at a pantry and and say, hey, I'd like to volunteer here. I'm kind of in hard straits myself. Can I work out something where I volunteer? and I, you know get to take home some food then you're actually giving an investment of your time and you're getting something in return and a lot of times the church organizations or other groups they'll see that and guys it takes initiative to get ahead and so they'll see those types of initiatives and they'll help you out and then you can get together with other group members you don't have to have like a hardcore we're all freaking rambo style group no, a whole bunch of old women are going to survive who are interested in canning, gardening, and taking care of each other, and boosting each other up, and giving each other courage and enemy and love and empathy uh, and uh, courage and empathy and love. And they're going to do this, and they're going to survive. It doesn't have to be these survivalists that you know are saying if you don't have your fifty thousand rounds of ammunition, and if you're not you know uh, eating your liver like that. liver king every day, then you're not going to make it, you pansy simp. No, absolutely not. Instead, the people who are going to survive are somebody's grandma, somebody's aunt, uncle, a little baby who knows no better. So do your best to mix the preparedness and survival with the luck of what it takes to get ahead. Get out there, build a group, talk with people, get your community going. The first place to start is right here in the comment box. We've seen commenter after commenter who have met people on here, sometimes physically, sometimes just over the internet. And they have built relationships outside of this community by email, staying in communication with each other, talking with each other. That's what we need folks, And it's free today. Jump down there in the comment box, say hi to somebody. Say what you're looking for. And I'm not saying make this a dating app. Absolutely not. What I'm looking for is people who are like-minded like me and and want to talk about what we can do to get ahead. Let's let's encourage each other to, uh, you know, get out there and camp this week. What are you doing? Let's look at what you're building in your camping bag and those types of things. That's what we need. And that will help us see this disaster through. From my family to yours, please stay safe, remain vigilant, and keep watch. This week's full-spectrum news is brought to us just, each and every day here more, on YouTube right? by you. Uh, for being here, was, knowing what's going on to and accepting the burden in of hand. that weight. Well, from down. all of our members on Patreon,
4: please I make sure you check it it
3: out contingencymedical.com. Use the code FSS10 for real antibiotics. And you can check out nutrientsurvival.com forward slash FSS, my full-spectrum survival. And you can use the code FSS15 for a discount on meals that are ready to eat diet changing, gut, bi- gut bacteria changing plans, all these different things that are helping you get ready. Let's see if it's right for you, but most of all, build your pantry, build your fire break, stay safe, and keep watch.
5: So why have you got a worry because China? Have- I ain't worried about China, fuck China.
6: ...between the U.S. and the I'm Ben Bowen. I'm Alex French. And I'm Smedley Butler. Join us for this sordid tale of ambition, treason, and what happens when evil tycoons have too much time on their hands. Listen to Let's Start a Coup on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite
1: shows. I'm Dr. Romney, and I am back with season two of my podcast, Navigating Narcissism. This season, we dive deeper into highlighting red flags and spotting the narcissists before they spot you. Each week, you'll hear stories from survivors who have navigated through toxic relationships, gaslighting, love problems, and their process of healing. Listen to Navigating Narcissism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
7: MySpace was the first major social media company. They made the internet be like a nightclub. And it was the first major social media company to collapse. My name is Geram McNeil. On my new podcast, Main Accounts, the story of
4: MySpace,
7: I'm revisiting the early days of social media through the people who lived it. Listen to Made Accounts, The Story of MySpace, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite shows.
8: Denver wasn't the only city in Colorado that saw racial justice protests and clashes. There was also a lot going on south of Denver, in the much smaller city of Colorado Springs. In the summer of 2020, a nonprofit organization in Colorado Springs called the Chinook Center has opened their new office in a low-rent strip mall near the airport. The founders are hoping to make it a gathering point for left-wing activists and organizations across the area. Not long after it opens, a young white woman named Chelsea shows up, offering to volunteer. She had, like, bright pink
2: hair. She dressed in a way that was sort of um, noticeable.
8: This is Samantha Christiansen, who co-founded the Chinook Center. Samantha is guarded with her language, a little politically correct, even.
2: I mean, there was, there was nothing wrong with the way that she dressed, but it was noticeable, right? And for provoking certain types of, I don't know, I do not want to say that. I'll take that part out.
8: Chelsea dressed in a way that was noticeable, Samantha says. What she won't say is what I'll say. Chelsea dressed in a way that was sexually provocative. Mini skirts, tall boots, fishnet stockings, a lot of skin on display she implied over
3: the course of like getting to know her or whatever that she was a sex worker to me and i know other people she told other people she was that's john christiansen samantha's husband
8: and one of the other co-founders of the Chinook center but yes that was sort of her story
7: she had hinted at that it was like sex work but never like outright came and said it so i guess we all just assumed and this is autumn carter wallace
2: another colorado springs activist I think somebody else had told me that,
7: and
2: I just was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, I never
8: questioned it, which is very weird, too, because I normally question everything. That's the one time I didn't. Just about everyone in the Colorado Springs activist community knew Chelsea, and most everyone thought she's a sex worker. But Chelsea isn't a sex worker. Chelsea isn't even her real name. And even though she doesn't drive a hearse, she does just like Mickey Windecker, take orders from the FBI. I'm Trevor Aronson, from Western Sound and iHeart Podcasts, this is Alphabet Voice. Episode eight, The Springs. So we're gonna leave Denver and take a break from the story of Mickey Windecker for just one episode. It might seem like a tangent, but trust me, it's not. The story of what happened 70 miles south in Colorado Springs ends up having big consequences for Mickey. The actual Colorado Springs investigation was only loosely connected to what Mickey was doing. But it reveals that what the FBI was up to in Denver wasn't isolated. It was part of a larger strategy, an FBI investigative technique that likely played out in cities across the United States in the summer of 2020. The lead up to the racial justice demonstrations in Colorado Springs were similar to what happened in Denver, where a young Black man Elijah McClain, was killed during an encounter with police. There were protests, but things cooled down a bit. And then, George Floyd was murdered in Minnesota. The same pattern, initial outrage over a killing, which then cooled and flared again with national protests, happened in the springs. In August 2019, a man called 911, reporting that he'd been robbed at gunpoint by two young black men
7: location
2: so I was down the
3: street and some man just confronted me with a gun and they me and tried to take all
8: along again. the nine one one caller then gave a description of the perpetrators, and local police officers stopped two young black men near where the alleged robbery occurred. The encounter was recorded by one of the officers' body cameras.
3: So we had a report of two people's similar descriptions, possibly having a gun. All right. We not reach for your waist. We're going to just make sure that you don't have a weapon, all right?
8: Just as another police officer was coming behind the two men, one of them ran. The cops chased after him.
4: Hands up! Hands up! Hands up! Get your hands up! Get your hands up! Your the
8: hands officer fired his gun multiple times, and the young man was shot in the back. In the body cam video, blood can be seen soaking through the left side of the injured man's shirt. There's also blood spilling on the street. A lot of blood. The man died later at the hospital. His name was Devon Bailey, and he was just 19 years old. Protesters went into the streets. Devon
4: Bailey! Devon Bailey!
8: After the Colorado Springs Police Department released the body cam footage, the shooting of Devon Bailey made national news. Newly released body cam video from Colorado Springs, a 19-year-old shot and killed by police at one point. The video shows his hands in the air, running away. He's then shot. But a few months later, in November 2019, a grand jury declined to bring criminal charges against the officers involved in Devon's killing. The El Paso County District Attorney called the shooting a horrible tragedy, but said that the grand jury's decision is just. Then, George Floyd is killed by a cop in Minneapolis. In Denver, Colorado rings, and cities across the country erupt in anger and activism. According to FBI internal reports, Mickey Windecker had provided information to federal agents about a racial justice activist in Colorado Springs. That information appears to have been used to launch a separate investigation there. And this is when a woman with long pink hair named Chelsea enters the Colorado Springs activist scene. She signs up to join the Democratic Socialists of America, the same political group Mickey allied with in Denver. Chelsea also contacts John Christiansen, one of the Chinook Center's founders. And volunteers to help around the office. We exchange messages just like,
3: Oh, I want to I could do some administrative work for you guys, you know. And I'm like, that's great because that's like the most overwhelming thing, you know, it's like <laughs> uploading email addresses and things like this, you know, it's a it's a pain in the neck.
8: What John and other activists at the Chinook Center don't realize at the time is Chelsea isn't really Chelsea. Her real name is April Rogers, and she's a young detective. With the Colorado Springs Police Department. More after the break.
6: What would you do if a secret cabal of the most powerful folks in the United States told you, hey, let's start a coup? Back in the 1930s, a Marine named Smedley Butler was all that stood between the U.S. and fascism. I'm Ben Bullen And I'm Alex French. In our newest show, we take a darkly comedic and, and occasionally ridiculous deep dive into a story that has been buried for nearly a century. We've tracked out exclusive historical records. We've interviewed the world's foremost experts. We're also bringing you cinematic, historical recreations of moments left out of your history books. I'm Smedley Butler, and I got a lot to say. For one, my personal history is raw, inspiring, and mind blowing. And for another, do we get the mattresses after we do the ads, or do we just have to do the ads? From iHeart Podcast and School of Humans, this is Let's Start a Coup. Listen to Let's Start a Coup on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you find your favorite shows. MySpace
7: was the first major social media company. They made the internet, which up until then had been kind of like a nerdy space, feel like a nightclub, and also slightly dangerous. And it was the first major social media company to collapse. Rupert Murdoch lost lots and lots of money on MySpace, because it turned out it was actually not a good business. My name is Joanne McNeil. On my new podcast, Main Accounts, the story of MySpace, I'm revisiting the early days of social media through the people who lived it, the users. Because what happened in the MySpace era would have sweeping implications for all the platforms to follow. Listen to Made Accounts, the story of MySpace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite
1: shows. I'm Dr. Romney, and I am back with season two of my podcast, Navigating Narcissism. Narcissists are everywhere, and their toxic behavior and words can cause serious harm to your mental health. In our first season, we heard from Eileen Charlotte, who was love-bombed by the Tinder swindler. The worst part is that he can only be guilty for stealing the money from me, but he cannot be guilty for the mental part he did, and that's even way worse than the money he took. But I am here to help. As a licensed psychologist and survivor of narcissistic abuse myself, I know how to identify the narcissist in your life. Each week, you will hear stories from survivors who have navigated through toxic relationships, gaslighting, love bombing, and the process of their healing from these relationships. Listen to Navigating Narcissism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
8: Mickey in Denver and Chelsea, or April Rogers in Colorado Springs, have the same mandate from the FBI infiltrate racial justice activists, and try to set them up in crimes. While Mickey is working directly with the FBI and getting cash payments in return, Chelsea is part of something called the Joint Terrorism Task Force, a partnership between local police and the FBI. And in Colorado Springs, the FBI and its partners in the local police come to the conclusion without any discernible evidence that the city's activist community is potentially dangerous and should be the target of a long, intrusive investigation. Colorado Springs saw its share of demonstrations during the summer of 2020, but it wasn't among the cities whose racial justice protests you'd hear about on the national news, like Minneapolis, Seattle, Portland, Denver. The Springs is small and it's very conservative, home to Air Force and Army bases and a number of evangelical megachurches. It's also a popular place for retired military officers as a result, the city's voter base is consistently conservative, and the left-wing activist community, while ambitious, is pretty small by comparison. But that left-wing activist community hit just the right buttons in Colorado Springs on August 3rd, 2020, the one-year anniversary of Von Bailey's death.
4: Oh, we are you a murderer.
8: Dozens of activists gathered with signs and bullhorns in front of the house of Alan Van Land a Colorado Springs police officer who shot Devon Bailey in the back. Devon
4: Bailey, we are calling you an assassin. Kill her. Devon Bailey, we are calling you a racist. Racist! Devon Bailey, we are! Okay. Devon Bailey, okay. Devon yeah. yeah. Bailey, yeah. we are calling you an assassin. Kill her. Devon Bailey, we are calling you a racist. Racist! Devon Bailey, we are!
8: The demonstrators blocked the road to the neighborhood, and soon things got tense threats escalating to a potential gun battle. One of the demonstrators, named Charles Johnson, got into an altercation with a man who was opposing the protest. Videos from the protest outside the Colorado Springs police officer's home made the rounds on social media, with right-wing commentators using the incident to allege that Antifa activists were becoming more dangerous michelle malkin a far-right commentator and conspiracy theorist tweeted it's not just seattle and portland and austin and twin cities it's freaking colorado springs she later added nowhere safe nearly a year passes and the same people who organized the protest outside the cops house all the activists from the chinook center they start putting together a march for housing rights they plan it for july 31st 2021, the same day the city has planned an expensive 150th anniversary celebration. That isn't a coincidence. It's intentional. A bit of a dick move, yeah. But the demonstrators aren't trying to be polite. So the actors from the Chinook Center march. They're wearing red shirts that read, housing is a human right, and carrying signs that read, rent is theft, and in Spanish, housing for all. Among the marchers is the committed young activist with pink hair and provocative clothing, whom everyone knows as Chelsea. Here's Samantha Christiansen, one of the founders of the Chinook Center again.
2: And then the day of the housing march, I mean, I really hadn't seen her in a long, she wasn't someone I really thought of that often, right? So I saw her and she's very recognizable in her appearance.
8: What Samantha and the other marchers don't realize is that the Colorado Springs Police Department working with the FBI is planning to arrest a bunch of them today oh boys we sit we wait we get paid nearby sitting in a police cruiser is local cop Scott Alamo Alamo has his body camera on and he's talking to other officers as the marchers are coming up the street
0: God, I think we're going to arrest 20 fucking people. Dude. You know, obviously are underestimating how awesome we are.
8: As the demonstrators are passing by, Scott Alamo, the local cop, sees John Christiansen, Samantha's husband, and another one of the march's organizers. Alamo calls him professor because John teaches sociology at a local college. What
0: is it, the white guy?
8: Yeah. The professor, what wanted- is ALAMO pulls out what appears to be an intelligence report. And on every page are pictures of Chris Janssen and a dozen or so other marchers. It's like a rogues gallery. But these aren't mugshots. They're photos from social media, from Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. This document is likely the product of a new FBI program called Social Media Exploitation, developed during the summer of 2020. Under this program, the FBI partners with local law enforcement agencies to mine social media data to build files on people without probable cause for the search. As Scott Alamo is flipping through the pages of photos, he jokes about how violent the arrests are going to get.
4: Boot to the face. Oh, Boot to the face.
8: Yeah, that pretty much does happen. Power
4: to the people. <laughs>
8: oh my God. About six cops surround a black man with a shaved head and tackle him to the ground. His name is Sean Walls. and He's one of the primary organizers of Colorado Springs activist community.
4: <laughs>
8: a few minutes later, the cops target another black man among the demonstrators. He's Charles Johnson. One of the men who got into the altercation earlier outside the Colorado Springs cops house, four cops forced Charles to the ground, violently pulling his arms behind his back.
4: Oh, shit.
5: <laughs> Cops are
8: running in toward the people being arrested. The officers charge toward a demonstrator on her bicycle.
9: And I see what I thought was a bunch of cops dockpiled on the entire crowd. I was like, Holy shit, like they're coming for everybody then? Like what the fuck? Like, just just shell shocked, right?
8: Jacqueline Amendadas Insueta is a former newspaper journalist who, at this time, is working as a Colorado-based staffer for Democratic US Senator Michael Bennett.
9: And then I Immediately turn around after that and see a riot cop like in full gear sprinting towards us and like flight or fight response. And in my case, honestly, flight is not my default. And in doing that, I just threw my bike down and was like, Rich, you coming for me? Like, that's the honest truth. And um, I know you've seen the video.
8: Jacqueline can be seen on a police body camera as the officer rushes toward the people being arrested. Thinking the cop is charging at her, Jacqueline throws her bike down. The police officer sidesteps the bike. It never touches him and runs toward the pile of officers arresting the activists.
9: And I was like, oh my God, dude, I just reacted. Like, imagine if they didn't hit a cop, they would have had me on a felony.
8: About a half dozen activists are arrested that day and charged with crimes related to their roles in the demonstration outside the Colorado Springs cops house. Jacqueline isn't among those arrested, but the cops aren't going to let the bicycle throwing incident go unpunished. Daniel Sumi, a Colorado Springs detective who is part of the Joint Terrorism Task Force, decides he's going to figure out the identity of the woman who threw down the bike. Sumi is just a local cop, but he makes a big deal of his assignment. His business card suggests he's a federal agent, FBI logo and all. Anyway, because Jacqueline was wearing sunglasses and a face mask, it wasn't clear from the police body cam video who she was. So Sumi goes on social media and searches the friends list of people who were at the demonstration. He finds Jacqueline's profiles and pictures of Jacqueline wearing the same bicycle helmet and shoes that can be seen on the woman in the body cam video. Sumi has a suspect, and so to find the bike and other evidence they need to prosecute her, Sumi and the Colorado Springs police get a warrant to search Jacqueline's home.
9: So there were like at least six officers in multiple vehicles. And I I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I am not El Chapo. Like, this is ridiculous.
8: In my journalism career, I've read a ton of search warrant applications and evidence reports. Detective Sumis are among the most bizarre I've ever read and definitely the creepiest. First, the bizarre part. Sumi, in his search warrant application, notes that the demonstrators carried red flags. He then writes, and I'm not joking here, that he went on the internet, found some random website about red flags, and writes, quote, the red flag is significant in that it is a radical political symbol and designates the march as revolutionary and radical in nature. Sumi, in black and white letters on a page, it's describing how the FBI is investigating ideology, something FBI Director Christopher Wray has told Congress doesn't happen. He's also employing a depth of research that probably wouldn't earn a passing grade in a high school class. OK, and now the creepy part. Sumi, for some reason, includes in a search warrant application a full-page photo of Jacqueline in a bikini.
9: Sometimes you got to laugh, right, to keep from crying. and. We we had to laugh at just how, like, how fucking creepy that was. And it's like, this will be fun when we get to disclose to Colorado Springs taxpayers that their money is going to police screenshotting my bikini pics. Wow.
8: Following the search, and after police took Jacqueline's bike and her electronic devices into evidence, local prosecutors charged her with attempted aggravated assault on a police officer. A second degree felony but local police working with the fbi aren't done in colorado springs they still have an undercover embedded inside the activist group that's after the break
6: what would you do if a secret cabal of the most powerful folks in the united states told you hey Let's start a coup. Back in the 1930s, a Marine named Smedley Butler was all that stood between the U.S. and fascism. I'm Ben Boland. And I'm Alex French. In our newest show, we take a darkly comedic and occasionally ridiculous deep dive into a story that has been buried for nearly a century. We've tracked out exclusive historical records. We've interviewed the world's foremost experts. We're also bringing you cinematic, historical recreations of moments left out of your history books. I'm Smedley Butler, and I got a lot to say. For one, my personal history is raw, inspiring, and mind-blowing. And for another, do we get the mattresses after we do the ads, or do we just have to do the ads? From iHeart Podcast and School of Humans, this is Let's Start a Coup." Listen to Let's Start a Coup" on the iHeart Radio app, Apple
7: Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite shows. MySpace. Nice was the first major social media company. They made the internet, which up until then had been kind of like a nerdy space, feel like a nightclub, and also slightly dangerous. And it was the first major social media company to collapse. Rupert Murdoch lost lots and lots of money on MySpace because it turned out it was actually not a good business. My name is Joanne McNeil. On my new podcast, Made Accounts, the story of MySpace, I'm revisiting the early days of social media through the people who lived it, the users. Because what happened in the MySpace era would have sweeping implications for all the platforms to follow. Listen to Made Accounts, the story of MySpace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts
1: or wherever you find your favorite shows. I'm Dr. Romney, and I am back with season two of my podcast, Navigating Narcissism. Narcissists are everywhere, and their toxic behavior and words can cause serious harm to your mental health. In our first season, we heard from Eileen Charlotte, who was love-bombed by the Tinder swindler. The worst part is that he can only be guilty for stealing the money from me, but he cannot be guilty for the mental part he did. And that's even way worse than the money he took. But I am here to help. As a licensed psychologist and survivor of narcissistic abuse myself, I know how to identify the narcissist in your life. Each week, you will hear stories from survivors who have navigated through toxic relationships, gaslighting, love bombing, and the process of their healing from these relationships. Listen to Navigating Narcissism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
8: In the springs, the pink-haired woman everyone knows as Chelsea... Starts digging in. She started friending a bunch of different <laughs> people on Facebook who were at the housing march. This is John Christiansen. He was among those arrested at the housing march. Like, in retrospect, that should have been a red flag. But, you know, I, you know, it's one of those things people kind of come and go. Chelsea starts inviting activists over to her apartment. Always men. Remember, Chelsea dresses provocatively.
5: And most of the activists are under the impression that she's a sex worker. I walk up these sketchy steps, open up this apartment, and there's two guys sitting there uh, with her.
8: This is one of the activists Chelsea invites over. He agreed to be interviewed and recorded, as long as I refer to him by his nickname, Argum. Anyway, I need to tell
5: you for context that Argum loves guns. Now, I'm a gun nut when it comes to like history and mechanical stuff. Like, this is like my passion since I was a kid. And he started a local chapter of the Socialist Rifle Association. Kind of like a left-wing version of the NRA, minus the money and corruption. Nothing as the does is anything besides legal. And that's not me just doing a disclaimer. Like, I think our that last event was we went camping. <laughs> like, you know, it's nothing crazy. So when Art Young gets to Chelsea's apartment,
8: it's weird. There are these two guys with Chelsea. And Chelsea's
5: there, and she's like, hey, how you doing? These my friends. Yeah, this is my half-brother. She pointed to this guy who's like 45. She, she looked at me like 20 years to 25, right? Points this guy that's 45, says, This is my half brother. And I'm like, No, it's not. I'm like, Sure. And she's like, I'll oh, go in the go kitchen and get beer and pizza. I'm like, Cool. I go in there, there's like 20 fucking pizzas. <laughs> like an, abs- an absurd amount of pizzas. I may be over exaggerating, but enough that I was like, Who the fuck are you feeding? Like, I know I'm like, kind of a chunky guy, but there's a lot of pizza here. And like 30 rack of like pours in the fridge and some mics hard. Everything about the situation made no fucking sense to me. Chelsea, with her friend and
8: supposed half-brother sitting nearby, tells Argum that she needs his help to get a gun.
5: She's like, hey, I want to get this. And I'm like, cool, yeah, that's great. I can go and source it from one of my friends. And yeah, we can just go down to a gun shop and, we can back and check when we buy it. She's like, oh, okay. That's what a conversation ended with cool." It's clear to
8: Argum that Chelsea is suggesting that he finds
5: a illegal ticket,
8: Something off the books from the black market.
5: I'm like, yeah, I'll source you a gun, no problem. I guarantee you I, find, I can find somebody who has one for sale, but we're not going to sell to it illegally. Like, no.
8: Arguably, leaves a little later, thinking the evening was bizarre, and half wondering whether Chelsea's <laughs> friends are undercover cops, and still wondering who's going to eat all those peas. <laughs> then, not long after, Chelsea invites another activist over. Just as before, Chelsea has two people with her. I met up with her. Mike and Omar. This is Gabriel Paulsen. These guys with Chelsea, Mike and Omar, they tell Gabriel that they're
5: truckers. Mike was missing his left leg from the knee down. Omar was uh, kind of a Middle Eastern-looking guy. <laughs> um, both had tattoos. Both are
8: very <laughs> unlike Artym, who quickly shuts down any discussion of illegal activity. Gabriel is intrigued by these guys. They ask Gabriel if he wants to buy any weapons.
2: He said that he had grenades, TNT, um,
5: uh, AK-47s, like fully automatic weapons.
8: Gabriel says he'd be interested in seeing C- the criminal case of Charles Johnson, the black activist who was dogpiled by cops and arrested at the housing march. He's been charged with attempted robbery, menacing, constructing a roadway, all for his role during the demonstration in front of the police officer's house on August 3rd, 2020 in Colorado Springs. Charles Johnson's lawyer is named Alison Blackwell. She believes the charges against her clients are politically motivated. So during a hearing, she calls April Rogers as a witness over the objections of prosecutors who do not want undercover cop to testify. For the hearing, a lawyer representing the US Department of Justice is sitting at the prosecution's table.
7: When you were marching in the housing march, were you doing that for the Colorado Springs Police Department? I was uh, under the authority of the FBI. Okay. Um, how many other FBI agents were in that march? I respect political to- answers. Mm-hmm. Does the Colorado Springs Police Department know that you're working with the FBI? Yes. So I want to talk about going back to the Student Center. Um, did you feel
1: know guilty about that? I respect political mm-hmm. answer.
8: April is wearing a black dress with a black face mask to protect her undercover identity. She has long, dark brown hair, but it looks like a wig. A good one, but a wig all the same. On request, while on the witness stand, April pulls down her face mask, but only to her chin. Attorney Allison Blackwell asks April question after question. And nearly every time April answers, I respectfully decline to answer. She keeps looking over at the lawyer from the Justice Department. It's a truly bizarre scene, one of the strangest I've ever witnessed in a courtroom. This is a state courthouse. And in this case, the United States government is not a party. And yet, a Justice Department lawyer is instructing a local cop not to answer questions about a criminal case she helped investigate. Did you think that
7: my client was a terrorist threat at any point? I
4: respectfully decline to answer, You just say no. I've been told to respond I respectfully
8: decline to answer. Someone else who declines to answer about any of this is the FBI. Officials in Colorado and Washington, D.C. refuse to respond to a list of questions about the investigation in Colorado Springs. And in Denver? There's our old friend, Mickey, and Mickey's about to face some trouble.
4: Some activists from the Springs
8: are about to post information online, alleging that the man behind the wheel of the Silver Hearse is a secret informant. And Mickey will respond with his own accusations. So there's a group that or an individual that's claiming that they are Antifa Colorado Springs. And in fact, that I believe that they are actually not
6: anti-Colorado Springs because I believe they are actually a cop. I, for one, am not amused or pleased about
8: the fuckery that's going on. That's in the next episode. This is Trojan Hertz, season one of Alphabet Boys. Alphabet Boys is a production of Western Sound and iHeart Podcasts. The show is reported, written, and hosted by me, Trevor Aronson. For more information about the series, or to drop us a tip, head to our website, alphabetboys.xyz. You can contact me on Twitter or Instagram, at Trevor Aronson. We believe this story is important and could result in changes to FBI oversight and public policy. Criminal case of Charles Johnson, the black activist who was dogpiled by cops and arrested at the housing march. He's been charged with attempted robbery, menacing, constructing a roadway, all for his role during the demonstration in front of the police officer's house on August 3rd, 2020 in Colorado Springs. Charles Johnson's lawyer is named Alison Blackwell. She believes the charges against her client are politically motivated. So during a hearing, she calls April Rogers as a witness over the objections of prosecutors who do not want an undercover cop to testify. For the hearing, a lawyer representing the U.S. Department of Justice is sitting at the prosecution's table.
7: When you were marching in the housing march, were you doing that for the Colorado Springs Police Department? I was uh, under the authority of the FBI. Uh, oh. How many other FBI agents were in that march? The Colorado Police Does the Colorado Springs Police Department know that you're working for the FBI? Yes. So I want to
4: talk
7: about going back to the Shred Center. Um, did you feel know guilty about that? I respect
8: what you're answer. April is wearing a black dress with a black face mask to protect her undercover identity. She has long, dark brown hair, but it looks like a wig—a good one, but a wig all the same. On request, while well on the witness stand, April pulls down her face mask, but only to her chin. Attorney Allison Blackwell asks April question after question. And nearly every time April answers, I respectfully decline to answer. She keeps looking over at the lawyer from the Justice Department. It's a truly bizarre scene, one of the strangest I've ever witnessed in a courtroom. This is a state courthouse. And in this case, the United States government is not a party. And yet, a Justice Department lawyer is instructing a local cop. Not to answer questions about a criminal case she helped investigate. Did you think
7: that my client was a terrorist threat at any point? I respectfully declined to answer. You just say no. I've been told to
4: respond.
1: I respectfully declined to answer.
8: Someone else who declines to answer about any of this is the fbi officials in colorado and washington dc refuse to respond to a list of questions about the investigation in colorado springs and in denver there's our old friend mickey and mickey's about to face some trouble some activists from the springs are about to post information online alleging that the man behind the wheel of the silver hearse is a secret informant and mickey Will respond with his own accusations. So there's a group that, or a individual that's claiming that they are Antifa Colorado Springs, and in fact that I believe that they are actually not Antifa Colorado Springs because
6: I believe they are actually a cop. I, for one, am not amused or pleased about the fuckery that is going
8: on. That's in the next episode. This is Trojan Hearse, season one of Alphabet Boys. Alphabet Boys is a production of Western Sound and iHeart Podcast. The show is reported, written, and hosted by me, Trevor Aronson. For more information about the series, or to drop us a tip, head to our website, alphabetboys.xyz. You can contact me on Twitter or Instagram, at Trevor Aronson. We believe this story is important and could result in changes to FBI oversight and public policy.